0: coalfield and company in the finley toyota studio on espn
1: las vegas
2: all right here we go on a tuesday a very busy tuesday a lot of raiders news a lot of unlv news and a lot of unlv with raiders news good stuff to get to adam hill will be along in a little bit he was uh over at the press conference, what was the press conference for and where was it? UNLV on campus at the FFC, the Fertitta Football Complex. Raiders with a gigantic do- uh, donation for UNLV football. So we'll get more details and find out what happened over there. And uh, we'll play a Adam Hill conversation here in just a second with President Whitfield over at UNLV. But a lot more Raider stuff to get to uh, later in the show. MD, Mark Davis. Getting yelled at by fans, responding. So we'll get into that. But there's some franchises around the NFL right now that are feeling real crappy. Four games in, after having resurgent years, sometimes it's a little bit of fool's gold. Happened to the Raiders, right? Two years ago, ten and seven, make the playoffs. Should have kept rich. A lot of people, eh? A lot of people in the media. Few said. Hey, you know they won a lot of close games. Those things turn from year to year. So, some mostly good things going on over at UNLV, and then um, a not so great thing to report early in the show. And by the way, we're going to bring in John Von Tobel in this hour. He'll be joining us from uh, faraway places as we go back and break down the Hawaii game, and also start looking ahead to the big rivalry game for the Cannon against Nevada. So, Damon, right now. Runner Rebel fans and then casual fans, I'm sure, aren't completely into college basketball yet. But Run Rebel fans have been paying attention know that UNLV had quite a haul in the offseason and put together a team of transfers. Oh, that's bad. No, not anymore. This is the way it is. And they went out and mined the transfer market, got a bunch of Big 12 players, got the best player in the city to run the team in DJ Thomas. So they got quite a collection of players. But, But first obstacle... Something away from the court, Caleb Boone. So Caleb Boone on Sunday morning around 3 o'clock in the morning near Sahara and Maryland, some sort of accident. He is brought in misdemeanor charge for DUI, and uh, this morning was the first chance to get in front of Kevin Kruger. So I was over there after the morning practice. Uh, Right now looks like they're doing split sessions. So it was over in the morning – and got right into it with Kevin Kruger and asked him about uh, what's going on what's the latest what's next with Caleb Boone and your team
1: it's still kind of early there's still some things that were that we're processing and gathering information still talking to some people but uh it's something that yeah any distractions and adversity you want to you want to avoid um, I think this team has a chance to be very good and so that's something that we talk about a lot but uh, currently we're still we're still learning some things, so um, there's really nothing definitive that can be discussed in too much detail about that. And you're gonna have in practice as it goes through the process? We are. We are. we're gonna have in practice and uh, again, as as more information's gathered, um, you know we'll we'll we'll, we'll kind of decide and go from there. What do you tell
2: your team, and you know in terms of getting yourself into these positions and you know you, you don't
1: need this, you got to be careful. Pretty much just that, you know. It's uh, it's something where we, you know, we talk to the guys a lot about, you know, the vis- their visibility and, um, and and that, you know, we don't. We of course we want them to have friends. We want them to have to have a social life. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, you got to make we got to make good decisions. So, uh, uh, like I said, I think this team has a chance to be really good. Um, we've just uh, we've got to learn from from a mistake uh, and a decision, no matter whether it's a small distraction, a big distraction, or whatever it may be so that we can just kind of keep getting tighter and more connected as a group.
2: Well, not good. Not good. College kids do college things. Adults do college things. So hopefully a lesson learned. Hopefully we get no more information that uh, anything worse happened. Uh, They're going to go through the process, which I think is more than fair. I know people flip out in these cases and want – Uh, instant justice. That's not the way the system works. And we've seen in a lot of uh, DUI cases where we get more information and sometimes the story changes for better or worse. So hopefully uh, this is a lesson for the rest of the team. Uh, One, when you come to our community, we want to be safe. Uh, We know there's been other organizations who have had uh, lots of incidents along these lines and uh, put the community in jeopardy so we want the UNLV basketball players uh, to learn out of this that you know there are other avenues other outlets to make yourself safe and make the rest of us safe so that's what we got right now and and Boone was out there practicing this morning um he's expected to be one of the elite players on this team and you know now this is on his resume it's it's not a good thing so I appreciate Kevin Kruger giving us a couple minutes this morning so the afternoon highlighted by support from the Las Vegas Raiders for UNLV UNLV athletics and specifically UNLV football. And I know there's been a lot of people out there who've kind of made this into sort of a, a bad working relationship or made it out to be a bad working relationship. I don't know that it's always been smooth, but I do know when Sandra Douglas Morgan came on board, it was expected to get better and smoother. And this is a really good sign here that the Raiders are investing in our community they're investing in our young athletes. This isn't just a, hey, here's money. Go win football games. If this money helps the student athletes, that's a good thing. You know, we just talked to Charles Williams, right? Former UNLV running back on Friday, co-hosted with me and with JVT. And, you know, Charles has turned out to be a solid citizen. And in the end, that's all he asked for from your local university is the kids get educated. Hopefully they can play a high level football, entertain. You know, deliver on expectations, but make them into productive members of either our society or other places around the country. And uh, President Whitfield was out there, as I mentioned. SDM uh, Raiders making a big donation, and here's Adam Hill on the scene just a couple minutes ago, talking to Whitfield about what this means and you know how important the partnership is. Adam starts it out.
3: Tell me about what the the relationship between you and the Raiders means to the to the university. Um, you know the university is really built on the strength of our academic programs and it's built on the strength of our partnerships across the community and some you know from three square to but the ones with the Raiders I mean I said it there and I honestly when you look around we're a we're a college football team that gets to play a $2 billion stadium it doesn't get any better than that and now we have the added synergy of having this incredible coach leading us idols at a time too in college sports it's just so crazy I feel like we're in some ways kind of like more solid and grounded in part because we have this great student we have a good relationship with them we're doing well in the community our students are doing well we got the largest incoming class we've ever had we're over thirty-one thousand. students it's like stuff is just rolling really well and so it's good to have that kind of connection with your athletic program to be able to have a place to play and to be able to have kids that, that you know uh, somebody was highlighting you, you don't get to play there for free. No, we don't get to play there for free, but we get to play a $2 billion stadium. The students know, the student-athletes know that, that this, is, this is wonderful and special
2: There you go. President Whitfield will have a little more of that conversation with Adam Hill. And it is important. Right now in the arms race around college football and college athletics, uh, so much of the success comes from outside the programs. There's only so much state funding, and then you've got to make money at the school. But how do you get started if – You're not getting big crowds for your games. There's not a ton of revenue coming in. The kickstart has to be from outside the program. And I've always thought that uh, Las Vegas, and hey, it's not my money, but in terms of the corporate dollars here, uh, folks could be doing a lot more to back the local university. Um, We're going to talk about the Reno situation a little little later on with uh, Shannon Kelly from Nevada Sportsnet. It looks like uh, there's going to be a gigantic investment on behalf of uh, Alex Marullo, who owns the Sahara and Grand Sierra and the Coyotes and a lot more. Um, this is the way it is in the state, and there's got to be community support. So this is pretty awesome. Uh, and I think the entire million-dollar donation is earmarked for the football program. And as I mentioned, it's an arms race, and there's always things that can improve the football program. And you're you're never at a peak, really, when you look at what people have for football facilities and travel budgets. It's all part of it. you got to have a lot of money to win at a high level. Right, Tamon?
4: Yeah, 1000%. We always see the videos where, let's just say, the big programs where they have a barbershop inside the facility or this, that, and the other, all the video games set up. I'm not saying that that's why the recruits go there, but I'm sure if you're 18 years old on a visit, that's very enticing.
2: Well, I mean, it's, you know, it's even little things. Um, are there, say, like, are there road trips where you, you book a, a big game and you'd want to have a team out there for two days instead of one to get acclimated? Mm. Well, that idea is novel, but what if you don't have it in the budget, right? And stuff like this can add to the budget, and that is the advantage that big-time programs have. Like, I don't know, you know, the the times I've traveled UNLV football, I think it's wonderful. They've got a charter flight. They didn't always have charter flights. That's a big advantage. If you compare it to, say, like, what USC and UCLA are going to do for Big Ten football, people are worried about travel. I would probably marvel at what they have with their air travel. Like, I don't know what kind of plane they're in, but they're going to do everything they can to make the kids as comfortable as possible. Right? Also, treat Donors and potential donors to good trips, and I know this all sounds crazy. That there's so much that goes into it, it does, it does. Because if you spend money wisely, what do you get back? More money, and it just builds upon itself. So I'm fired up. I know the UNLV community's fired up. Um, absolutely, you need and want a good working relationship with the Raiders, and this is a tremendous sign.
0: Now. Back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota studio
4: on ESPN Las Vegas.
2: All right, it's Cofield and Company here on a Tuesday. Lots to get to. A lot of UNLV stuff to hit, including the press conference earlier today on the uh, partnership and gigantic donation from the Raiders to UNLV. So we'll get into that. We've got people out covering the press conference for... John Von Tobel's jumping in. Helps out a little bit here because uh, we wanted to get into... UNLV football and the victory over Hawaii. And, you know, Tuesdays are really our big day, along with Thursdays and Fridays for college football. Mondays, we hit on a lot of NFL. Really nice win. Really nice win. Uh, A game that, you know, by the numbers, they should have won, John, as they were laying anywhere from nine and a half to 11 and a half. But, you know, thinking that UNLV football is going to win in the past was sort of a, a dangerous thing. And I think sometimes the coaches of the past and the players of the past got caught up in that and Barry Odom's guys and himself that I don't think they get caught up in it. I really do believe they go game by game and that was a good result. They were, there's some things to fix and we're going to get to it, but they were in control and ride right now a winning streak and 40 plus points a game for three straight games and handle Hawaii pretty easily. 44 20 is a big deal.
4: Yeah. Like that to me, that's the, that last point you made is the most important one. You know, th- this is a team that is seemingly improved from where they were last season. And so how do you show that improvement it's that you take care of business against what should be lesser opponents in the games that you are supposed to win. They went out to El Paso, and they did that with UTEP. Now to come back home and take on a team that I was telling somebody, Steve, a couple of days ago, um, you know, as somebody who thought Hawaii plus the 11 points was going to be pretty live, I was like, I was out there, in Hawaii, right? Like you and I both were, and I saw them, this team, lose that game to this team. And I didn't think that there was an 11-point difference between these two out in Las Vegas, but they was this was a team that was well in control the entire way. The defense stuck out a lot, but it was impressive to watch UNLV take on an opponent that at this point we think, hey, you know what, you should be better than, and control that game from start to finish and never even really let them get within like shooting distance of the Rebels. It was, I think, one of the more impressive wins to date outside of that Vanderbilt victory, of course, from a few weeks ago. I was on
2: the TV call for Silver State Sports and Entertainment Network so I really didn't get a feel for the sound, uh, in the stands and on the field. I know you were out there, so what was the atmosphere like? Like how? I mean, this sounds crazy, right? I'm in the stadium, but we're really in this like hermetically sealed booth. I, I didn't get a real feel for how loud it was.
4: So when I walked in, because I, I was a little bit late, I was like 15 minutes after kickoff, so I did get to walk through, right? You know, the lower level and where the crowd was, and it was loud. You know, it was it was rambunctious when you when I first got there but you could definitely feel the life kind of get sucked out of the building, at least from the Hawaii perspective, as it went along. You know, As as that game went closer and closer to the end of it, and you could tell that UNLV was not going to give that thing up. uh, The the, the atmosphere got, I don't want to say muted, because the UNLV faithful was there and they were excited, but it definitely got a lot more muted because it was one of those things where you knew what the result was going to be, and there was nothing really to cheer for for the opposition. And the other team, UNLV's fans, Just knew what the result was going to be for such a long time that at that point, the magic of a victory like that had kind of been sucked out of it. So, sitting up in the press box, you kind of gotten the feeling of the energy sapping away. When I walked in, though, it was good, it was palpable. Walked by a bunch of Hawaii fans, they were rooting and cheering and screaming. I walked in with the contingent of Hawaii fans too. When I was getting there a little bit late, by the way, I'm really surprised how many people show up late uh, to football games. Like, there were people, there was like quite a large group of people walking in (laughs) with me, and I was like, I understand why I'm late, but why are you guys here? You bought tickets, but. I definitely thought it got sapped away as it was pretty clear that UNLV was going to take this thing with ease.
2: So let's talk about defense and offense. Uh, defense in the Hawaii game, uh, I think playing off of the UTEP game, I thought the defense, I'm going to, this is not an insult, but the defense was more exotic or had more looks presented for Braden Shager. Uh, I think part of it is not that they're holding back, but I think as your team's trying to learn a 3 3 5 and you've got young guys who are moving into certain positions, the install takes a little longer, and man, I thought they, especially the first half, I thought they really confused Braden Shager, the quarterback, moved him off his spot. I know you had noticed some odd alignments. There was a ton of stunting.
4: Yeah, that, that was the thing that stuck out, not just the performance, but being able to sit up there in the press box for the first time personally this year and, and watch like the overall view of what that defense looked like, that's immediately what sticks out. You know, my favorite thing that, uh, that Odom was doing was he would run this front where he would take all three down linemen and line them up on one side of the center. So it was like super shaded to one side, but then he would take two linebackers and stand them up on the opposite side. So you would have like your down linemen essentially just rushing one side and you would have your two upstanding guys, standing up guys rushing the other side. And, and that was a play that at least in my brain correlated the most with success. You know, incomplete passes, turnover-worthy plays forced, you know, making Shager really uncomfortable and rolling him out of the pocket. That that formation was really good at that, right? That lopsided formation where you had speed on one side, power on the other, that really moved the pocket on Shager, it seemed, and forced him to get out of his pocket and, and get a little uncomfortable. And, and that was the most successful, I thought, portion of UNLV's defense against Hawaii. The secondary was fine. We can talk about a couple of the plays that they gave up. But I thought their front seven, and specifically their down linemen and, and whatever extra rushers they were using, they, they had the most success. And that was the driving force behind why UNLV was able to control that game defensively.
2: We're really starting to see why they were so excited about 6'4", 215-pound LSU transfers. Adrian yes, Carter.
4: yes. He, he was great, man. He was awesome. Bending the edge, He's so he's so quick especially like some of that fast twitch stuff that he's able to do uh, to be able to generate again you know I'm always in the mindset I was talking about this um, with a couple of people the other day you know the traditional means is sacks right how many sacks can you get but pressures are just as important if not even more important than sacks because sacks are the explosive result of pressures but pressures mean that you're pushing guys out of the pocket it means you're pushing them off of where they want to be as a quarterback and you're altering what the quarterback wants to do and you're, a, you're you're seeing him with the ability to cause pressure, to cause havoc behind the line of scrimmage. I know that Oda mentioned that in the postgame presser, which is kind of living on the other side of the line of scrimmage if you are defensively. And that's what UNOV was able to do with all those different looks. But Carter was great in that he was one of the guys that stuck out the most with his play. but this is pretty crazy what's
2: developing with the rush game on offense. It's almost expected now with the output that they're going to go north as a team of 150 yards. I mean, hell. On the season now, they're 18th in the country at 200.5 yards per game. The last three games, it's at 247 a game. The last two games, it was 307. They're number 16 in the country in rush attempts per game, which really helps out when you're trying to break in a young quarterback in for the injured number one, Doug Brumfield. So they're at, the, like I said, 41 and a half yard or uh, carries per game. So. Impressive stuff early on here. And uh, the other part of it is it's it's a rotation. There is no bell cow. So there's plenty of depth and fresh guys to go to throughout the game.
4: Yeah, there are. Can I be negative for a second about sure. an aspect of this? I'd like to see them do more off of play action if they're going to run the ball that well. You know, if you look at the PFF numbers, Myava actually only went 5 of 10 on play action, and he graded out as about like a 60-ish on play action pass attempts. If you're going to be able to run the ball that well, play action should be a much more deadly weapon for you as a team than it was in that game. And that was kind of noticeable, right? Like if you looked at it, you know, obviously off of play action, a lot of teams like to use play action to set up deep shots. There wasn't really a ton of that. You didn't get a ton of success. So when you're going to be this dominant, if it's going to continue, because I made the comment to you after the El Paso, the UTEP game, which was just, you shouldn't really count on having this every single day, right? You, you've got to be able to look at your quarterback and know that he can excel your passing attack. But maybe that's going to be the case, given how well not only is this offensive line run blocking through the last couple of games, but how well your guys are running and generating yards after contact and doing what they're able to do. Uh, UNLV, how about this stat? UNLV averaged 4.2 yards as a team after contact against Hawaii that's that's really impressive you got some powerful runners
2: yeah one of those guys is uh Jordan Young Humphrey uh, so Lester was one of the guys who was really breaking some tackles now the bad thing on Jordan Young Humphrey is he actually got hurt in the game here's Barry Odo talking about the injury
5: yeah I believe we're going to have a long-term injury unfortunately and uh you know had a, what a terrific start to the season for him really a starter on every special teams you knew exactly what you're going to get every day in practice and the way that he worked you know and, and had carved out a role on offense that was impactful we'll get a little bit more reading on him today on what that injury is and and um, i would say he would for sure this week will will be out um i'm going into next week's game um and then we'll get we'll get more eval and more uh official word later today i think
2: and I'm so glad not enough of us track this and especially the casual fans out there aren't really paying attention to the special teams units. But he mentioned Jordan's been on the special teams units and that is going to be a loss. And we'll find out, uh, you know, whatever, 10 days from now, because the uh, Nevada game's way off. We'll find out who's going to go into that rotation. So that one's a bummer. Uh, Odom did mention that he does think he has other running backs who can go into the mix. And th- it is a pretty big uh, or deep running back room. Um, listen to Odom here, John, as he talks about the depth in general. The person asking the question mentioned that, "Hey, you still have four people who can really run the ball," and that's when he mentioned some of the depth even beyond that.
5: Well, we play a lot of different guys, as we've seen at that spot. Sometimes there's two backs on the field at the same time, you know. And I, I think we've got—you mentioned four. I think we've got two others that, if we activated. Uh, to get in position to help us i think they could that's a credit to what we do offensively that's a credit to coach Ford coaching that position also schematically giving those guys touches and finding ways that they can help our team we need everybody that that steps on the field and is in position to help us they've got to play winning ball it doesn't matter if you're a freshman or a senior through repetition we'll continue to add guys to that list that are ready to go play
2: and going in each game like for the nevada game could you take a guess without really knowing the game plan who's going to be the player who gets, you know, the, the high end mark of eight or 10 or 12 carries? Cause I don't know that I can right now.
4: No, I, I don't think so. Like if you look at the snap numbers, they're all pretty evenly like distributed, uh, you know, against Hawaii Lester did have the most snaps, but it wasn't by that much. He had 26 next uh, next most was Vincent Davis at 18 and then Jaden Thomas had 17. So they're skewing these pretty evenly It seems to very much be, especially in that offense, right? We're going to have two backs at one point in the backfield anyway. Like, it seems to be one where, hey, you got the hot hand and this thing's working. If we're having success on the left side or whatever it is, then you're going to to be the guy that's going to get fed. So I would have no idea. I would assume that this thing – and I think sometimes you hear running back by committee, it's generally a negative. But this is a positive in this case, where I think they have faith in any one of the guys that if they need to get 12, 15 carries a game, I think they're going to be comfortable with whoever gets those carries.
2: JVT is with us ESPN Las Vegas starting out this Tuesday show doing some UNLV breakdown of the Hawaii game and also uh, breaking down in about 10 minutes some of what Barry Odom had to say at his press conference on Monday four and one start four and one start just like last year but we'll talk about how it's a little bit different last year kind of fell apart when there was a quarterback injury that injury happened earlier this year and the backup Jade Mayava went in and has done a pretty good job before we get a break Give me what you thought of Jaden Maiava in this one by the numbers by you know P- places like PFF it was actually uh, his best rated game. What did you see in the Hawaii game?
4: I saw a game manager. I think is a pretty fair way to put it. Like he was he was given everything he needed and he took what he needed. There was a couple of throws that he would like back that I think that when you look at it, uh, I know he didn't commit multiple turnover worthy plays. I think he only had two, maybe one. I think he gave two uh, according to PFF. He he wasn't like awful. He got a 71.6 grade from PFF. That's about average, like so that's solid. But he did what he was supposed to do. I'll put it this way, and I think I told you this, and I know I told Caleb this. What you've seen from IABA the last two games what you saw him in specifically in that Hawaii game, I don't think you're feeling uncomfortable by pulling, I'm doing air quotes for our radio audience, the hot hand. I, I think you're going to be perfectly fine putting Brumfield back in there when he's, mm. when he's healthy.
2: Okay, sit tight. On the way back here on ESPN Las Vegas, we're going to hear from Odom and his grade for Mayava. and then we're also going to hear from Barry Odom and what he said about Brumfield and if he is still the number one quarterback.
0: Now, back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota studio.
2: Back here, Cofield and Company, Steve Cofield. John Von Tobel jumping in to talk a little UNLV football in our number one as they get a big win over the weekend against Hawaii to move to 4-1. and one. Same mark they started with. Last year, but there's a different feeling around the program in terms of depth and confidence. And, you know, they, they won some close games here. They got the Vandy game. They were able to put away UTEP and Hawaii. But now we've got a really interesting situation with the quarterbacks. And you remember, John, what did I say about three weeks ago? I said, I feel more confident this year because if they need to go to a backup, I think they have someone or some ones who are going to be ready to go. And then Bromfield goes down that week, uh, that week's game. And then Maya's come in and been very solid. Very interesting. Listen to what Barry Odom says here about his grade and how he looks at
5: quarterbacks. I look at the the number one indicator or the number one statistic in grading that I look at is did the quarterback win the game? Um, There's a lot that goes into that. Did he protect the ball? How clean was he with his checks and getting us out of a call and into a call, his reads in the RPO world, and he's doing really well. He's progressed from day one until Saturday, uh, maybe as good or better than anybody on the team. So excited about his progress. I think, again, through reps, he's going to continue to get better. He's got a chance to be a really, really good college quarterback. I forget, too, at times he's a freshman.
2: Very important mention there at the end and the beginning was very interesting it leaves some doors open in a second we'll play Odom said about Doug Brumfield's return but what did you hear there in terms of the grade
4: well I don't really love giving quarterbacks you know the hey if they won like that's number one well you know your defense had a lot to do with that so did your running game but regardless uh as much as I disagree with that I I think he hit on a lot of things which are really fair and and right about my which is First off, he has improved. I think every game, like he's gotten a little bit better every game, which is really good. Um, I also love the comment at the end because even though I've mentioned to multiple people he's a registered freshman, it doesn't really click to you for a second. And he hits it. yeah, no, he, he's a freshman. So he, what he's been able to do has been quintessential backup. He has come in, he has not put them in position to lose games outside of the Vanderbilt interception, which you know, hey, karmic justice, he got that back, and they were able to win the game. And can we trust Myava when that, that running game is not averaging five yards a carry and four yards after contact? Can you come out and win a game when it's pretty lopsided in terms of what you're able to do from a passing attack? And that's, I think, my questions. And from what I've seen from Doug in a larger sample size, I still feel like Doug can do that when he's fully healthy. Now
2: listen to the extended comments here of Barry Odom when he was asked, hey, when you guys are back and you're playing Nevada in less than two weeks – What's the
5: latest with Bromfield, and will he be the starter? He got a lot better last week uh, throughout the course of the week. Had a, you know, As the week went on, he got better and his health got better so uh, we'll get another injury report later on today in our staff meeting and hopefully he'll be cleared. It was cleared to a point last week but being cleared and being able to go play are two different things. Yeah, I think, you know, he's he's still proven in, in our minds he's been the starter, uh is the starter and and again I think we've got three quarterbacks that can play winning football.
2: Aha. Uh-huh.
4: I think you're reading too much into this uh,
2: I mean, I, Actually no, I I
5: totally get it. We has this out
2: on Monday that part of it. And the door is very much open, especially with the comments about Mayava and winning. Yeah. Uh, the door is very much open um, if Doug is not ready to go, like fully ready to go and prepared to play, then you may still see Mayava even with a cleared Brumfield against Nevada.
4: Oh, I, I think that's—I think that you might see that, right? I think the way Mayava has played at the very least allows you to extend the leash for Brumfield to make sure. You know, in years past, would you play Doug if he was like seventy-five percent healthy? Yes, but this year, because you have a quarterback who's been proven to be capable, you can wait until he's one hundred percent healthy to take the field again. For, the, for those who didn't pay attention, actually, it's a good example. Um, this last weekend, Louisiana Tech, you know, Hank Bachmeyer, former Boise State quarterback, plays over there. He's been injured. Last week he was available but only due to emergencies. So that's one of those things where it's like, all right, hey, you know what? You're not fully healthy. We'll put you in. You're active. You can dress. But we don't want to put you out there and risk it. Let's roll with the back of him now because we have faith in what he can do here. And then maybe next week you will be available. And that's been some of the reports that maybe Bachmeyer can come back. Maybe that's something that you can do with Doug because you feel confident that Mayab has been able to do what he's been able to do.
2: John Toble ESPN Las Vegas. It's Cofield. Last couple of minutes on uh, UNLV before we uh, bring in Darren Millard in a little bit to talk to Vegas Golden Knights. Okay. Now we're going to talk about the the latter seven games of the season and what's really going to help them avoid a collapse and clinch a bull berth here in the next three or four weeks. They've got one area They've got several, but they've got one big area to shore up. And I'm sure that Barry, if you want to look for motivation from Barry Odom, because you you know there's freaking steam coming out of his ears on this one. They've got to improve the situation with the deep shots. And the way I view the cornerback room right now is it is a clean slate. No one is guaranteed to play more than 20 plays. Everyone has had their moments of success and then moments of stuff that will drive coaches nuts. Uh, at that Monday press conference, I asked Barry Odom about the, the room and what's the
5: situation right now. What are you seeing? Why are there so many deep shots being converted? I think we've played a number of different guys over the last couple of weeks still trying to figure it out, who is uh, who's going to take the job. And then I still don't know that we're in a position that we can say, okay, this guy can go play 75 snaps. It's more by committee right now. Um, there's points and times that we're playing well at that spot, and then there's other times we lose some focus. Our on-snap footwork, our eye discipline is not where it needs to be, so that that's one of the huge areas that we need to get fixed, and if we don't, we won't achieve the success that this team should.
2: So Odom covered a lot of ground there, and the biggest point is the one he made at the end, that right now they don't feel like they have one cornerback or the other slot where they can roll a guy out there for 70 plays, and you know, if you look back at the game, the last couple of games, games I mean, this last game, they had four cornerbacks allowed an average of over 20.8 yards per reception. And it wasn't a one off no. uh, because uh, they got hit by a thirty one, a thirty eight, I think a fifty one and a fifty five yard reception. Now, against Nevada may not be as big a problem unless Bianco's playing because Brandon Lewis is not really a thrower. But there's some there's some guys with hoses coming up after that in uh, Colorado State and Fresno. I don't know what they do here the next two weeks. I mean, I really do believe they're they're opening things up and they're like, guys, you, you have to win your jobs back or you're not playing because, uh, you know, Cam Oliver I thought was the most solid in, in this last game. They were like, got to go on the bench.
4: Yeah, Cam, uh, unfortunately, had a really bad game. Like it, when you – it stuck out. When, when you as a corner stick out, like where I'm constantly seeing your number on the wrong end of big receptions and then the numbers stick out and then, of course, after the last reception that he gives up, I see immediately get up and he comes trotting off the field and that was the last time you told him until the game was in control and then he got back out there. So I guess that's the only thing you can do. And like when you watch them and that's the part is, you know, like for cam and this is not the pick on him. It's just the one that sticks out the most because he is the one that had the worst game uh, against Hawaii. It, it is a lot of just, Hey, the guy just blows by you, right? There's no like double moves. There's no deception. There's no pick plays that would get you behind. It seems to be a lot of the times these corners are just getting caught flat footed and they're not really, even when giving them a cushion, they're getting blown by. So I'm really interested. I guess you just start to cycle bodies in until you get comfortable with whoever's going to be out there. But I hate to say it, I think it's going to be a weakness for them all season long. And when you when you see that it's not scheme, that it's more about maybe physical uh, prowess that is what's limiting you or allowing you to give up these deep shots, that's going to be something that sticks around all season long.
2: Yeah, I don't believe it's a physical issue, because I think uh, even on the 50-50 balls, I think they've got more than enough size. I think, you know, between Oliver and Anderson, and now Moten's back, he's a little bit thicker at the position. I still think they can get Ricky Johnson a rebound. He's got good size. Um, You know, Cam Jenkins got a little beat up uh, in terms of uh, on some deep shots. He's more of a safety. I still believe they actually have other guys who might be able to get back in the mix, and that's Jordan Morgan is now a cornerback. I don't know what's going to happen with Javon Grigsby, who came in very late from Purdue, but yeah. They're going to, they're going to work at it. And these guys, I mean, the, the position is already hard enough and they, you know, they always tell you, you got to have a short memory, but the problem is, you know, having a short memory on the field uh, from play to play is one thing, but like having a short memory when you go back to practice and maybe you haven't had a, you know, a great game, the game before, and you're like looking over your shoulder, like, Oh wait, there's six guys trying to take my job. Yeah. I mean, I guess in a way that's a, that's a bad thing, but also a good thing because I think they have alternatives, but someone's got to step up.
4: Yes, absolutely. Because, This is what's going to be the difference in some of these games. You know, when you're not playing as well defensively and you've got to, you know, if you're getting the shootouts with, like, as you mentioned, some of these big boys, like a team like Fresno is going to be able to take advantage of that. You know, when you have them coming up, uh, quite a few of your opponents down the stretch are going to be able to go after you in that regard. And the difference, though, is Fresno's got one of the best defenses in the country when you face them. So now all of a sudden... You're going to have to be in your perfect on offense while also maybe dealing with one of the weaknesses that has killed you for the majority of the season on defense. And that's going to be a a unique challenge that they're going to have to deal with. Now, maybe not against Reno, but as you move forward after this game, it's definitely going to be something that teams are going to look to exploit.
2: All right, John, good job. Uh, Get back to your full time job. I know we were talking, UNLV football, but what's going on this week in terms of now really starting to pick things up for your basketball info that you're getting out there in the NBA?
4: The NBA guide uh, coming out on Thursday. I've been grinding that out over the last couple of days. So that'll be up and ready to go. A lot of good insights, uh, previews of all 30 teams, uh, analysis on futures bets, articles on in game wagering and, and live betting and things of that nature. And Steve, I've been working on it and working on it. John Von model 2.0, the basketball version. Uh, I'm going to no. talk. We're going to have that as well. And there's going to be an article on that in the guide too. So keep an eye out for that on vsun.com. San Jose Sharks puck drop set for just after seven o'clock. They are one week away from the regular season opener at T-Mobile 730 against the Kraken next Tuesday.
0: Now back to Cofield and company in the Finley Toyota studio. studio. studio.
2: All right, it's already begun. Regular season hasn't, but VGK back on the ice. Let's bring in Darren Millard. Darren, back for our regular spots on Tuesdays. Glad you're back, buddy. What's going on? What's happening? A whole lot. A whole lot. What's happening with you? Where are you right now?
0: Well, I'm just a little bit uh, confused. I originally read the note as 3.30, and it wasn't. It was 3.40. Hmm. So that was my fault. But then... I'm looking around, going. It's 3:47. Where, where's the my mod- where? Where are we? And no, then I'll,
2: then I'll, the I'll, I'll explain so, it to well. you off the air and, and make you feel bad. But you know, things happen. Yeah.
0: Okay. I just, oh. I just was worried that I was missing your call. That was the basic front of it. Was I thought that I was stiffing you?
2: No, no, no. So I we didn't were, want to be we doing were, that. we were disrespecting you by getting to you late.
0: Okay. Yeah. Well, that's that, that's fine. I've been disrespected
2: before. <laughs> All right. You've looked around at uh, preseason projections for this team. Uh, how common is it now, because it wasn't before last year, how common is it now that uh, with the cup in hand that uh, people are picking the Knights to win again? Uh,
0: I think that it's very realistic, and I would put them up against a, a small group of teams that are legitimate front runners uh, to win the Stanley Cup. Uh, Edmonton Oilers would be in that group. Uh, Toronto Maple Leafs trying to make a, make a big step would be in that group. Carolina, uh, who are very solid out of the metropolitan division, uh, would be in that group. And then, then you kind of have a second tier uh, of teams that uh, that have aspirations to compete for the Stanley Cup, but uh, but don't necessarily have the complete package. Could make something happen if everything falls into place, but uh, but uh, have uh, have weaknesses that are a little bit more noticeable. So uh, I'm surprised that that Vegas is not talked about more. Considering how many people uh, they have returning this year,
2: could there be a reason that people have pointed to that last year's cup was a bit fluky?
0: Say that again, sorry. It's just oh. a little bit um, overmodulated coming from your end. That's
2: funny. Yesterday, our, yesterday our callers could not hear us because uh, it was too low. Um, yeah. Have people pointed to something that would make last year's title illegitimate? You know, there was a fluke here or there.
0: Yeah, uh, they, they they were able to uh, get uh, through things and at, at a long time injury drought, uh, which was the middle of the season, December and January, and they were able to to right their their ship. Uh, I, I don't think it was a fluke because of how many people they had uh, had that was consistent to their lineup uh, a year ago. The coaching uh, change certainly uh, made things uh, challenging off the start where you're learning a new system, and it was an overall of a new system. But, uh, but I think they're in a, in a better spot right now than they ever were last year in the front half, and they equaled the best 15-game start in National Hockey League history out of the gate with 13 wins a year ago.
2: Darren Millard's with us. Darren, do you think Aiden Hill and especially LT are going to be happy with the relationship of some sort of a split?
0: Uh, so, sorry again, so I apologize. That's it's right. just uh, it's overmodulated and I couldn't hear I heard, I heard
2: split. How happy do you think uh, Logan Thompson and Hill are going to be a splitting time and goal?
0: Well, oh, uh, sorry, I should have been able to uh, fandangle that and uh, use my Yoda S powers to uh, to jump on board of that. I think I think it's it's just fine. Like uh, Logan is going to push Aiden. Uh, Aiden uh, was pushing uh, Logan a year ago. Uh, neither one of them have come close to playing uh, what, uh, what is required from a, a split. Neither one of them played uh, 41 games in a year. So even if they split, Steve, they're still setting career highs for games played in a season. So that, that is progress on both fronts. Do they want to be the guy when things start playing for real uh, in, in the Stanley Cup playoffs? Yes. Yes. Now Aiden has that experience of playing in the Stanley Cup playoffs and Logan doesn't. So that's something that, uh, that Logan will have to overcome and, uh, and out-compete uh, uh, Aiden a little bit more uh, on that front to, to compensate for that. But uh, I think it's a really good situation uh, for, the, for the Vegas Golden Knights if you, if you have a platoon in, the, in this regard. And I'm comfortable with both guys given their competitiveness and their relationship.
2: Darren Millard is with us. I don't know how to introduce you now. AT&T Sportsnet is gone. I know Scripps is here. What do we call you?
0: Um, I would call myself, um, like, is, is Hockey God too much? Is, uh, <laughs> Local uh, Hockey uh, God. <laughs> is Media Mogul over the top? Sure. Uh, Loudmouth would probably be appropriate. Uh, overconfident <laughs> uh, would would be would be right in the mix. No, seriously, you can you yeah. call a uh, host of Scripps, Sports, uh, host of the, the Cheer Podcast, BGK Insider Show. Yeah. I, have, uh, I have several
2: different hats. All right, tell us why you're excited for the coverage on Scripts because I think a lot of people are going to, you know, most people don't keep up with this thing real close. So, uh, what are they going to be excited to see with Scripps now?
0: Well, well one thing that uh, that I think uh, they, right off the bat is we have an incredible production team that stayed with us from the uh, previous. Uh, Lineup with AT and Sportsnet, so that right there makes the consistency and the transition uh, almost seamless. So, from a delivery standpoint of uh, the pictures that you're seeing, the game coverage, uh, the chemistry uh, between producers and commentators, and the commentators themselves, uh, that, that puts us way ahead of the, uh, of the game. And, uh, that's been impressive. And we've got a couple of new faces that I think have, uh, raised the, the level. Uh, Taylor McCormick is our pregame producer and he's awesome. He comes uh, from Southern California. He's got a lot of, uh, uh experience in the game and, then he's been, uh, really an- energetic with, uh, with a couple of different, uh, ideas. And then uh, our reach uh, throughout uh, the, the Vegas Golden Knights territory is going to expose the game to more people, and it's going to be uh, fun. So couple that with some new toys. Uh, we've got some telestration uh, coming your way uh, during the regular season, so Shane and, uh, and Darren Darrenelli will have some fun with that. So we get uh, new graphics, and uh, I think it's going to be a, a really fun season.
4: Darren, speaking of TV, has it been brought to your attention that you look just like the contestant on The Golden Bachelor?
0: Really? Okay, yes. so you said you were going to send me a picture about something. And now I'm going to take a look at it. And you know what? I don't like to throw compliments around to other people too much because I like to, to sort of protect my, my place in the, uh, in the hierarchy. But that is one handsome son of a gun, that picture that you just sent me. And if you're comparing me to that gentleman... I'm just fine with it.
2: I mean, he's kind of old.
0: He's not old. He's experienced. And tell me you wouldn't trade places with that guy.
2: Wait a second. Yeah, Steve. You looked in the mirror today. You wouldn't trade places with that guy? Well, I'm I'm horrendous looking. I didn't realize he's 72. What a piece of, you know what? Wow.
0: I bet you that 72-year-old has a better left hip than I have got.
2: Holy moly. I got to watch that show. (laughs) Might get the... Uh, uh, Get my my wife, I
0: can't let her watch that because she'll be looking to go on, oh, I should yeah. go on that yeah. show, that's yeah. a good-looking
2: guy. <laughs> I need my own grandpa to be dating. See ya. Sorry, Darren. All right, Darren, sorry about the sound. Uh, are you on uh, VGK Insider Show today? That uh, Yeah, VGK
0: Insider Show, and uh, you sound like the teacher from the Peanuts, and that's scary that I understand the teacher from the
2: Peanuts. But that's...
0: explain to everybody what the Peanuts is.
2: Um, well, we'll, we'll do it after you're gone. That's good. We have like five more phone guests today. So looking forward to that. All right, Darren. <laughs> We'll see you buddy. Good luck. Bye. What a freaking nightmare. So I don't know. We're supposed to be professional in this case. So yesterday we had Steve Kim on mm-hmm. and he, he said, Hey, you're at micro levels. I can't hear you. So the adjustment now has been made to wah, 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 wah. wah if you know the peanuts, that's a disaster. All right. Four o'clock hours on the way. You know what? We'll just do the show. That's what we do every day. Yep. We do have some more guests coming up. I do want to check in with Shannon Kelly, who talks to us every Tuesday from Nevada Sportsnet, because uh, we had really good football program funding for the local school. Uh, you know, we had good news down here. They got really good news. if It all comes together uh, in Reno. Wow, what a project.